From Arcadia, California, The Carter Report presents the living word around the world. Hello, friend. I'm John Carter. Welcome to The Carter Report. Have we got a show for you today. We're going to talk about the glory of God and making sense of our incredible universe. We have two distinguished guests with us, both eminent scientists, Dr. Hugh Ross and also Dr. Faz Rana. They both come to us from Reasons to Believe here in Southern California. Welcome to the program. Jesus said, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Carter Report team has therefore accepted the challenge of worldwide evangelism. Millions in Russia, Ukraine, the Philippines, Africa, India, Australia, the United States, and the Isles of the Sea have heard the good news of Christ as John Carter has proclaimed God's living word. You are invited to be a part of the Carter team by praying and by giving, and when God calls, by going. Write a note now to Pastor John Carter, P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358, or to P.O. Box 861, Terrigal NSW, 2260, Australia. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. Our program today is Making Sense of Our Incredible Universe and the Glory of God. We have with us two great scientists. Dr. Ross, welcome today from Reasons to Believe. We're glad that you joined us. It's a privilege for us to have you with us. And the same to you, Dr. Rana. Thank you. You're a biologist. Why is a biologist also interested in astronomy? Because you are. Well, you know, astronomy is the study of the universe and mm -hmm. life exists within the universe. And it's interesting uh, that astronomers have discovered that the universe has to be exquisitely fine-tuned, very carefully put together for life to be possible. But also evolutionary biologists claim that life, which is so elegant in its designs, mm. emerged through evolutionary processes. And one way that we can critically evaluate that idea is to look at uh, when does life originate? What are the resources available to, uh, to life when it originates? You know, so in other words, life's history is, yes. is, is in the context of, of, the, of, the, of the universe's history. Yes. yes. How did you get interested, uh, Hugh, in astronomy? Because you, you are a great astronomer. You've, you've done uh, a lot of work down at Caltech, one of the great universities in the world. What drove you to become an astronomer? Well, my parents say that I was a born scientist. I had this innate curiosity. I was doing experiments when I was a toddler. You were? Yes. Just a little guy. Just a little guy. Almost yeah. burned down my grandmother's house in the process, so yeah, yeah, yeah. got into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Uh, but it was at age seven that I really got fascinated about uh, stars and galaxies mm. and was reading everything I could find on it. I knew from the age of eight that astrophysics would be my future career. Quite amazing. You must have been called to do this. I think so. I mean, and I, just, I just had to know what was going on in the universe. And uh, every year I would study a different sub-discipline of astronomy. 
And uh, that's what kind of led me to give my life to Christ. And, and, and so uh, both of you men, you deal with the same uh, subject, but at the opposite extremes. Uh, you're into biology and you talk about the cell, which is incredibly small and incredibly complex. And you deal with the universe, which is incredibly large and incredibly complex. Just tell me, uh, Fuzz, the complexity of a cell. How complex is a cell? Well, the, the analogy that I like to use, particularly to somebody who doesn't mm. have a lot of familiarity with biological Son, systems. Like me. Would be a, a city. A cell <laughs> yeah. is, is like a city. It's an incredibly complex system where you have molecules that are carrying out all kinds of different processes, and those processes are networked together, and each process is contributing to the overall benefit of the cell. There are systems that are generating energy, systems that are like assembly lines, making mm -hmm. molecules and machines, molecular level machines in the cell that are carrying out operations. There's a control center. And so when you see the complexity of a, sing a single cell, uh, you used it on one of our programs, uh, an analogy, it's like Los Angeles. Yes. And you said it's, it's better organized. <laughs> it's better organized, uh, especially better the, tr the trash trucks are better organized. <laughs> and not so many potholes. Uh, and, but you do have freeways and everything, don't you? Yeah, there's these highway systems inside the cell that are mm. trackways that molecules will walk along or move along carrying uh, cargo from one place to the other in the cell. These are called molecular motors or molecular machines mm. that carry out these processes. So, tiny, so small, so small, so complex. And we're told by some uh, clever people that they sort of self-originated. Yeah, and that's, to me, very, very difficult to accept. Hard for me to believe this. I'm, I'm highly skeptical because when you look at the, the scientific explanations for mm. how life comes from non-life, yes. those explanations leave a lot to be desired. They're, uh, they're lacking robustness. They, they don't have uh, strong support. So atheistic evolution that says that uh, life came from non-life in a relatively short period of time, relatively. Yes. It seems uh, absurd. And what astronomy tells us is they don't even have the building blocks. I mean, mm. life originates on planet Earth yes. in a short window of time, mm. but the basic building blocks you need aren't there. The mm. physics doesn't allow it to be there. And so you're very comfortable as scientists uh, with faith in the Bible. Yes. What would you say to a young guy or a young girl and they've, they've gone to hear Professor Richard Dawkins or somebody like this at Oxford University or one on some other great university, and uh, they're told there's no God because we don't need him. I heard one famous uh, man say recently, he said, well, it's not a case of talking about God. We don't need him. Um, he doesn't exist. What would you say to a young person? What would you say? Uh, oftentimes, I think people who take that position, mm. who are atheists, yes. Uh, who are agnostics that deny the existence of God mm. or are not convinced that God exists, are really operating uh, with other reasons that are motivating that position. Mm. And they try to use science as a way to justify their atheism. Yes. And yes. it's almost a philosophical commitment ahead of time to an atheistic worldview. And then everything 
and nature is viewed from that perspective. So, so, so thinking doesn't happen in a vacuum, does it? No, it doesn't. No, there are many, many factors why people take certain viewpoints, theological or scientific. How big, now we know a cell is very, very small. How big is the universe? Well, thanks to the Hubble Space Telescope, we know that the observable universe, the universe that we can see, mm. uh, theoretically see, contains about 200 billion uh, medium and large galaxies. And you have to add... 200,000 million. Yes. And 200 billion. Right. Galaxies. Where each galaxy contains about uh, 200 billion stars. Mm. So we're looking at about 50 billion trillion stars total if you add in all the galaxies. How many stars galaxies. again? 50 billion trillion stars in the observable 50 universe. 50 billion trillion stars. Right. And then you've got other stuff out there too, like uh, comets and black holes. But black holes are not black holes usually the very center of a galaxy. They can be. The big ones are. They're also smaller black holes that are scattered throughout the galaxy, and they're basically burnt-out stars. And when a big star burns mm -hmm. out, it will leave a black hole. Because it collapses upon itself. Right. Everything falls in. And then black holes can merge together to make bigger black holes. That's how you get the supergiant black holes. Now, in the Milky Way system that we can see every night, except if you live in Los Angeles, <laughs> but in the Milky Way system, is it not true that at the center of our system, which has what, 200 billion stars or something? It's about 400 billion stars. It's in our gone galaxy. up now. It's gone up a bit. Uh huh. I need to keep my reading up to date. 400 billion stars. There is a black hole in the center. Yes. And everything goes around that. Yes, and it, it's, it's consuming mass at a very slow rate. It's about 3 million times the mass of our star, the Sun. How far is planet Earth from this uncomfortable black hole? Because if we got close to the black hole, is it not true we'd go in? We'd be sucked in. If you got very close. How close? Well, I mean, if you... Close enough. <laughs> if you got within a few trillion miles, you'd be in trouble. Within a few trillion miles? Yeah. That's close. That's close. It means that the universe is somewhat very big, isn't it? A lot bigger than that. A light year is six trillion miles. So how far are we from the center of the universe, uh, of our galaxy, the center from this black hole? Uh, we're about uh, you know, 27,000 light years away from the center of the black hole. So we're, we're safe distance away. Is it true that we are strategically placed? Yes, we are. We're at uh, a distance from the center of the galaxy mm. where the spiral arm structure rotates at the same rate that the sun revolves around the center of the galaxy which means that we cross spiral arms only about once every billion years. And right now we're halfway between one spiral arm crossing and the next. And that's the safe zone for advanced life. Now, if you're a bacterium, you can handle crossing a spiral arm. But if you're an advanced life form, you don't want to be at that time. Also, too, if we were in another place, would we be exposed to excessive amounts of radiation? That's true. If you're closer to the center of the galaxy, you'd be exposed to radiation. If you're close to a spiral arm, you'll be exposed to deadly radiation. But if you're too far away from the center, you will not have the elements you need to make life. And so we're at the exact spot within the universe where advanced life is possible. And that same spot is the only spot in our galaxy 
we actually get to see outside of our galaxy. Now, now, now let's break this down. We're at a spot in the universe where we're safe from the, the spiral arms. We're safe from excessive amounts of radiation. But you're saying we're in a spot where we can see out. What does that mean? Well, there's only one location or galaxy where you actually get to see the entire observable extent of the universe and actually be able to directly observe the cosmic creation event. Put us somewhere else in the galaxy, there'd be too much light illuminating our sky. It's like driving into the sun. If we were in a, in a spot where uh, we weren't in a dark spot, um, Right. If we were in a bright spot, it would be difficult to see out. Is that Another way to put mm. it is we're living in the darkest life conceivable location, our galaxy, and it's because we're in that darkest possible spot, we can see the entirety of the history of the universe and actually read the whole storybook of mm. the universe. So we can see the cosmic story yes. from planet Earth. From planet Earth, we can see the story from the very beginning of the creation of the universe right up to the present moment. But we couldn't see this if we were popped in some other place. Or if we were at a different time. If we were put here any earlier, we'd only be seeing a portion of the history of the universe. Likewise, if we were put here any later, we'd only be seeing a portion mm -hmm. of the history of the universe. What does that, what, what does that tell you, Faz? Well, to me, mm. it's, it says that there's an incredible design in the universe, mm. that there's a purpose to the universe and a purpose to human life. So this could not have happened by by itself. Well, God wanted us to read the whole book from start to finish. Yes, yes. And there's only one spot and one time where we can read the whole book. What an incredible truth. What an incredible observation. We are at a spot in the cosmos where we can look out and look back through time. Right. We're in a place where we are protected. Right. So whether you go from the smallest to the biggest, it seems to be that there is a, um, a guiding hand and a great mind that has planned it all. So it's pretty hard to be uh, an atheist or even an agnostic and believe this stuff. Well, the heavens declare the glory of mm. God. They declare his righteousness. And yes. God wants us to see all that glory and righteousness. We'll be back after this short break we're talking about how big is the universe. We're talking about the evolutionary idea. We're talking about the great God who made the stars. And we have two great scientists with us. We'll be back in a moment. Hello, friend. I'm John Carter in Colombia. Behind me is the great city of Bogota, the capital of this amazing country. This city is a city of more than 8 million souls. It's up more than 8,000 feet in the Andes. And we've come here today with one purpose in mind, to preach the everlasting gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're here because we have a commission from God. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the everlasting gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The people here need the gospel of Christ. And I'm asking you today, come with us, if not in body, but come with us in spirit. This has been a very, very dangerous city a very dangerous part of the world. 
but we believe that we are safe when we are in the hands of God. Therefore, I'm beseeching you in the name of Christ and in the names of these eight million plus inhabitants in the city of Bogota to come and help us to preach the word of God. Please support the preaching of the word of God in Colombia. Please write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to me at the address, Terrigal, New South Wales, Australia. Jesus said, work while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. Please write to me today. Thank you and God bless you. Welcome back. We're talking to Dr. Hugh Ross and Dr. Fuzz Rana, two eminent scientists. And we're talking about making sense of the universe. You were describing the vastness of the universe. Now you have, you got your doctorate in astronomy, you got your doctorate in biology. You both come at the, at the subject from different poles, from extremes. You come from the very smallest, you come from the very biggest. We talked a little a moment ago about the complexity of a single cell and how it seems utterly incomprehensible that a cell could have made itself. I think it's absurd for people to think that a cell can make itself. Now, we're talking about the universe. Talk to me, and we've discussed this on other occasions, but for the sake of people who are just tuning in now, Talk to me about the Big Bang, the Big Bang Theory, and its relationship to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the mm. earth. That phrase, the heavens and the earth, means the entire universe. That's the cosmos. That's the cosmos. Mm -hmm. As the Hebrews understood it, it was yes. all of everything we can see or measure. Mm. So it's encompassing all matter, energy, space, and time. Mm. And if you go to the New Testament, you actually find passages that are explicit mm. about the universe being the beginning of space and time. Let's talk about this for a moment. You're saying that there was a time when there was no time. Well, I think time is bigger than cosmic time. I prefer to use the term temporality. Before mm -hmm. God created cosmic time, the time dimension to which we're constrained, God was in relationship. There are three members of the triune Godhead. Mm -hmm. They were in relationship with one another and they were making plans. I mean, it tells us in Timothy and Titus that before God created time, he was already setting into effect the grace that he was going to bestow upon his human followers, which he had not yet created. So God was in a planning environment before he created time. So God was experiencing temporal phenomena mm. before he created cosmic time. But notice what the thing about cosmic time, it's only one dimension and time cannot be stopped or reversed. That's the ideal property of time you want for a universe where people are, are still struggling with sin and evil. And God has actually used that cosmic time to bring about the end of all evil and suffering. And we'll enter into a new creation or we'll be delivered from the restrictions of cosmic time. When do you think this great creation event took place? We're talking about the creation of, of all, the, all the cosmos. 
How long ago? Well, in our cosmic time, that would measure to be 13.8 billion years ago. 13.79. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Plus or minus 0 0.05. <laughs> um, uh, Fuzz, what is your concept of this God? He must be uh, an awesome God, mustn't he? He must be a big God. We know uh, typically the, the conception of the God of the Bible is that yes. he's all-powerful, yes. all-knowing, and mm. all-good. And all-wise. All-wise. He's yeah. eternal. Mm. And as you begin to look at what we're learning about the cosmos, or we're learning about the structure of life at its most basic level, mm. you you just get a, a, a glimpse as to the knowledge and the wisdom and, and the, the power and the glory of that creator. The, the, mm. the creation is only just giving us a taste of of God's grandeur and God's glory. Uh, he must be a, 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 a huge, massive person. I'm not talking about physical form, but uh, we're talking about a universe that's uh, 13.8 billion years old. Uh, often Christians have had the idea of, of a God who uh, made the universe a few thousand years ago. But this opens up a completely new field, doesn't it? It expands our minds to realize that this God is such a, a huge and a big God. And as you said, he's all goodness. It's, it'd be awful if we woke up one day and found that uh, and this is not going to happen. But imagine if God was, was an awful person. He was cruel and malicious. Well, there's something about the universe that tells us that we human beings must have extremely high value. Mm. I mean, the very fact that he had to, he made a universe that yes. is so incredibly large mm. and so old tells us, look at mm. the resources he put into effect mm. in order to make our existence possible. Mm. And astronomers have discovered that given the laws of physics that God chose, it's impossible to bring human beings upon the cosmic scene in less than 13.8 billion years. But the window of time in which we can exist in a civilized state can't be longer than 40,000 years. This is what's called the anthropic principle yeah, so, inequality. Yeah, so it's, it's a fine tuning that is beyond our comprehension. Um, the universe was made a long, long time ago and was made in such a way and so finely tuned, put me right if I'm wrong, it was finely tuned for, for God to make the human race. Right. Now, Describe to me, because I want the audience to get a concept of the vastness of this universe, briefly tell me about black holes and dark energy and dark matter. Now, dark matter and dark energy, these are relatively new concepts. But tell me a little bit about these things. Okay, well, the stars and galaxies we see make up about a quarter percent of the universe. Mm. And then in addition to that, we got what's called ordinary dark matter. That would be matter made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons. It's so dispersed that they don't really emit any light. Mm. Uh, but more than 90% of all the ordinary matter is, quote, dark. And so when we look at pictures from, uh, from NASA and mm -hmm. from other astronomical societies, uh, we see these incredible galaxies. Right. The word is, is, is awesome. It's incomprehensible, it's so glorious. But that's, that's less than 1% of what is out there because of the dark stuff. Well, it takes a halo of ordinary dark matter surrounding our Milky Way galaxy 
to help stabilize the spiral structure. And beyond that, you need a halo of exotic dark matter. Mm. Now, there's six times as much exotic matter as there is ordinary matter. What I mean by exotic matter mm. is matter made up of fundamental particles that do not interact well with photons. Mm. Protons and neutrons and electrons do. The exotic stuff doesn't. But it takes that exotic stuff to really make possible the kind of spiral galaxy where advanced life can possibly exist. So when our family celebrates Thanksgiving, we thank God for the exotic dark matter. Because <laughs> without that, we wouldn't be able to enjoy our dinner. Um, you've been studying astronomy for so long, and you've been studying uh, biology for so long. Um, I'm impressed by your integrity and your honesty and your scholarship. And it's a privilege for, for us to have you here today. Um, what do you think about when you think about God, Hugh? What is God like to you? Well, God is a being that's created this whole universe. He created me. Mm. He created me for a purpose. Mm. I'm not just here to live. And, you know, God gave me attributes that tells me I'm to use that to satisfy God's demands upon my life, and that this universe isn't the end all. No, absolutely, I say amen to this, but if you were to meet God, what would he be like, do you think? Well, we're told in the Bible that he's not physical, he's spiritual. Of course. So he doesn't have a body, uh, but he also has given us a spirit. Mm -hmm. Because we have a spirit, we can relate spirit to spirit. Mm -hmm. So we're promised that uh, when this physical life is over, we're going to have a relationship with this spiritual being. Can we have a relationship with him now? Yes. Our spirit can relate to his spirit right mm. here and now. And as proof of that, this is what got to me when I gave my life to Christ. Mm. There's a promise in the Bible that that will set in effect the Holy Spirit, giving you the desire and the power to live the Christian life. And just seeing that happening in my own life and seeing how God was bringing people into my life in supernatural ways gives me added evidence, in addition to what I see in the universe, that God is alive, he's a personal being, mm. and he cares very deeply about me. And is it not true to say, Fuzz, that if you want to see God, and we can't comprehend his greatness, when we talk about the stars and everything, it's beyond us, but we can somewhat comprehend Jesus. Mm -hmm. because God became a man in the person of Jesus. And Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. And he was a pretty nice person, wasn't he? He was kind. He was gracious. He was forgiving. He was a marvelous person. And God in Christ created all of the universe, uh, all of the cells, everything. And uh, it's no wonder they wrote that hymn how great thou art, yeah. because he certainly is a wonderful God and he wants us to know him. And uh, I want you to write to me or write to my friends here today, Dr. Runner or Dr. Ross, but write to me at the Carter Report, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. And please write to Reasons to Believe if you want to ask questions concerning the purpose and the greatness of the universe. It's been wonderful having you with us right now, and we'll be back and we'll be talking to you more about these marvelous themes about the stars.